0: We're continuing our Drawing Near series on prayer this evening with a text about one of King David's prayers. I'm going to read all of Second Samuel chapter 7 tonight, but I'm going to read it in two parts. I'll read verses 1 to 17 here at the beginning of the sermon, and then partway through we'll go back and read verses 18 to 29. The first 17 verses that we'll read will show us David's great plan. He has this great plan. And we'll see how God responds to it. And then in our second reading for tonight, verses 18 to 29, we'll see the posture that David takes as he responds to God's response to his plan. Let's read God's word from Second Samuel chapter 7 tonight. Second Samuel, Samuel chapter 7. Again, we'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 17 right now. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, "'Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent.' Nathan replied to the king, "'Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you.' That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, "'Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says.' I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish His kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. I will be His father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. So a few years ago, we had some neighbors who had a really, really small house. They lived with it for a while, but then after a few years, they decided they needed something bigger, and they decided to build a big addition. So they developed all these great plans. We're going to have a big workshop, a huge attached garage, a new family room, a new living room, a new this, a new that. And so they put together a plan, they submitted it to the city, and then they started measuring out and getting ready to build. But then the city denied their permit. The city said, you can't build according to these plans. And our neighbors were pretty ticked, and apparently there was a certain amount of yelling that happened in the permit office. Somehow that didn't get the city to change its mind, but it happened. But then our neighbors came over, and my dad is an architect, and so they were talking to him about their plans, and then they showed him the plans. And what the plans were were basically a few pieces of paper with some rough sketches laid out that we think we're going to have a room about this big, and we're going to do something kind of like this. And it didn't really pay any attention to things like building codes, which the city doesn't really like. So they finally went out and hired somebody who was a professional, who knew the codes, who knew how it had to look, and who drew a nice drawing. And finally, they got to get on with the building. Now, in this first part of 2 Samuel 7, King David has a great plan. He's been a success. He's he's established as a king. His enemies are leaving him alone. He's settled into his palace. And then one day, he decides to build a house for the Lord. He decides to build a temple. And initially, Nathan the prophet says, yeah, go ahead with it. Whatever you want to do, go for it. David, God is building permit. But there's a problem with this plan that David has. One level of looking at this problem is that the plan looks a lot like a standard exchange between an ancient Near Eastern king and an ancient Near Eastern tribal deity in other words this plan looks just like the plan of all the nation around israel all the nations around israel they'd have this similar arrangement where the king would build a house for the god he'd say i'm going to do this and this and this this will be a great temple for you and then the god would be obligated to do what the king said the king provides a nice house And so the God provides security and success for the king. This isn't a relationship thing. This is an economics thing. The king provides the God with a particular service, and in response, the God owes the king. Now, it's hard to say if this was at the forefront of David's mind, but certainly the pattern of building this type of building in Old Testament times was to get the God under control, to manage the deity, to employ the king to help, or to employ the God to help with the cause of the king. And so one of the questions that the original audience for this book might have had in their minds was, well, is the Lord going to be just another tribal deity? Is he just going to be another small God who can be bought off with a housing and grocery allowance? Is the Lord going to be that type of God? And as the text shows us, no, the Lord is not going to be that type of God. And so the Lord rejects David's plan. The Lord rejects David's plan to build a house. After the prophet Nathan has approved David's plan, the Lord comes to him in a dream. And most of what we read in that text so far was what the Lord said to Nathan to tell David. And the Lord makes quite a long speech there. He goes all the way back to Exodus. He talks about how he made David a king out of nothing. He promises to make Israel great, to establish the house of David forever. All of these great, huge, wonderful things. But part of it is, no, David. No, your plan is a no-go. You are not going to be the one to build my house. So Nathan goes back to David and reports all of this. Basically, the prophet has to go, and he has to pull the building from it. He has to say, we can't do this. Uh, The Lord is breaking a standard pattern here in the ancient Near East. The king usually would go to the Lord and say, this is the the arrangement we're going to have. This is what our relationship is going to look like. But the Lord here is saying, no, that's not how it's going to be. The king does not get to dictate the terms of this engagement. The Lord dictates the terms. God will be the one who is doing all the building, and it is God's plans that matter, not the king's. And David has a good plan here. It's not necessarily that this was a terrible idea in and of itself, but God's plan is much, much greater. David is focused on building a temple in Jerusalem. David is looking ultimately toward Jesus Christ and toward the salvation of all of his people in all time. God's plan is so much bigger and so much better than David's. And have you ever had that in your life? Sometimes we make these great plans for God. Even at our best, we make these great plans. We decide what the best thing would be, but then as we pray about it, as we talk to other people about it, as we reflect on it, it turns out that maybe that's not really God's plan. Maybe it's a good plan, but maybe it's just not the right plan. But now in 2 Samuel 7, we come to an incredibly important point, and it's an important point in the whole history of God's people even. You see, this story isn't really about building plans. It's not really about David building the temple ultimately. It's about power. It's about who gets to set the terms of the relationship. It's about who's going to be the one who brings their plan into being. There's been a couple times over the past number of years when I spoke to people from Africa about big elections coming up in their country. And I heard a consistent pattern that really surprised me. People often would say, yeah, we wonder what the winner's going to do. It'll be interesting. Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? So they were interested in what the winner was going to do. But what people were really interested in, what they really wanted to know about was what the loser was going to do what people were really concerned about in those elections was how the loser would respond. And at first I didn't get that, and finally someone explained it to me. The winner will do what they do. But if the loser doesn't concede the election, if the loser doesn't let go of the pursuit of power, the country is going to spiral downwards, maybe even into civil war. If the loser keeps holding on to power with everything he's got, they're going to rip the country apart. So the question is, is the leader, but not the leader who gets elected, is that person the loser? Are they going to accept a power that's greater than their own, or are they going to hang on to their own plans, even if it breaks everything else apart? And that's the real question here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. As in in, and as in many stories about David, we should see the figure of Paul, King, or King Saul, not Paul, Saul, hovering in the background. Whenever Saul was presented with choices like this, he always chose poorly. When Saul was told, "It's not going to go your way, it's going to go God's way," Saul would make excuses. He would lie. He would fight back against God and his prophets. He would try to negotiate. He would throw royal temper tantrums. And so now we come to the second king of Israel, to King David. He has a great plan to honor God. There's some subtext there, but he has a great plan, right? And now he's been told, no, it's not going to be that way. And now what's David going to do? How is he going to respond? So to answer that question, let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we'll read from verses 18 to verse 29. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord! There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your own people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself? And to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you have promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. For the second part of the sermon tonight, I want us to be thinking about David's posture in prayer before the Lord. Now, verse 18 tells us that David goes in and he sits before the Lord. He goes to the tent where the people of Israel worshipped at that time, and he goes in and he sits down. Now that's a profound action. The usual way to pray at that time was probably to stand and look to heaven. And certainly the normal procedure for a king was to look down on people and maybe even to look down on these local gods that he could control. But here David goes in and he sits down before the Lord. Right here, even before he's opened his mouth, David's posture tells us that he is going to obey the Lord. And as he prays, we see that David has chosen to give up his plan and accept God's plan. David chooses to trade his plan for God's plan. The Lord rejected David's plan probably in part to show that the Lord would not serve the king. And the fact that David accepts God's plan shows that he recognizes that the king has to serve the Lord. In his actions and his words, David lets go of his enthusiasm for his own plan, and instead he picks up thanksgiving and gratitude for God's plan. Early in this chapter, David might have been a bit full of himself, but we see in his prayer that he is full of faith and full of gratitude in the Lord. Over and over again in that prayer, David refers to the Lord as the sovereign Lord. O oh, sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord. In there again and again is the king of the Israelites saying, there is a greater power and there is a greater authority than me and I am going to bow before it. David gives up his plans for God's plans. Now, I suspect that even in our best moments, we often go to God with our plans. Sometimes we might be trying to kind of sell God on some particular thing that we think would be really, really good. Sometimes, honestly, we just go to God and we kind of want to boss him around. God, the world needs to be this way. And I think God is gracious enough to accept all of our prayers. And there are reasons to pray those sorts of prayers at different points in our lives and certainly better to pray an imperfect prayer than never to pray at all because none of our prayers are perfect. But as we think about our prayer lives, I think it's a good question to ask, are we going to the Lord all the time and saying, God, this is my plan. God, this is my plan. God, this is my plan. Or are we going to the Lord and saying, Lord, what is your plan? Lord, what is your plan? And Lord, please fulfill your good plan the lord may sometimes reject our plans and then we're faced with a choice do we go and yell and scream at god do we act like saul and just walk away from the whole business or do we go and sit before the lord if the lord rejects our specific plans that doesn't mean he's rejecting us Sometimes God doesn't do what we want Him to do because He has a better thing in mind for us. Sometimes God doesn't do what we want Him to do because He's working out something that we will never see. Sometimes God rejects our plans and we have no clue why. We shouldn't pretend that we will always see why God does what He does. But stories like this in the Bible and the fact that God is trustworthy in keeping the promises He makes should give us the confidence that we can pray for God's plans. We can pray, Lord, let your will be done, instead of always going to God and saying, God, do my will. So it's part of our prayers, not all of them, because we should bring everything on our hearts to God, and I think it's okay to tell God, this is how I think things should go. But as part of our prayers, let's sit before God sometimes, humble ourselves and trade our plans for his so in this text we see david take this obedient posture in his prayer and then his prayer reflects trust in god a lot of david's prayer here is basically david just praying god keep your promises david prays over and over again based on god's promises And his prayer has two parts. First, in verses 18 to 24, David spends a while just giving thanks for what the Lord has done. He asks three rhetorical questions in those first few verses. First, he asks, who am I? Who am I? Who is my family that you should do these great things for me, O Lord? And then in verse 20, he asks, what more can I say? How can I give enough thanks to God for the great promises he's made? And then a little later, David asks, and who are your people, Israel? The one nation on earth that that God came to redeem for himself. David praises God and gives thanks because of what God has done for him, because of what God has done for his people. And David says, I can't even find the words to say thank you enough. And then in verses 25 to 29, David moves from praise and thanksgiving to petition. And he has basically two requests in those verses. Lord, keep your promises, and Lord, bless the house of David. Lord, keep your promises, and Lord, keep your promise to bless my house. Basically, David goes to God and says, God, thank you. God, keep your promises. God, thank you. God, keep your promises. At the beginning of this chapter, David has a great plan for the Lord, and the Lord rejects that plan, but then he gives David an even better one. And David responds by saying, Thank you, and yes, please, do what you have promised. So David has gotten the response just right. He isn't exactly getting what he wanted, but he's getting something much, much more. And he submitted to God, he hasn't tried to negotiate, he hasn't tried to talk God around for something different. He stepped back and said, God, your plan is great. Let's go with that. And if we think of the whole picture of the Bible, we can see a lot of ways that the Lord does fulfill the promises that he makes here. We can see it in how the Lord deals with Solomon, King David's son, bigger kingdom than David, richer king, all kinds of great things. But most of all, Most of all, we see the promises here in 2 Samuel 7 fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises. Jesus was born of the house and line of David. Jesus is David's great descendant who reigns forever. Now the New Testament tells us that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and reigns over all things. So it isn't just that David has a good plan and God has a better plan it's that David has a good plan, and God has this only great plan to save the whole world. David has a good idea to build something. The Lord has a plan to save his people through the coming of his own son, Jesus Christ. That's the great promise made to David here in Second Samuel 7, and it's a promise that God keeps. And so that pattern of praying, Lord, fulfill your promises, is a pattern for our prayers too. It's a great pattern for us as we look back to Jesus and we see how God brought a forever king who would save his people. We can give thanks for that. And we can continue to look forward to the day when Jesus will come back and make all things right and reign forever with us as his people in a place where there will be no wrong and no death. God's promises give us a handle to grab hold of in our prayers. We don't have any right to go to God on our own and say, God, you are obliged to do this or that for me. God, you must do this. God, we have a contract. Do it this way. We can't work out any kind of exchange there except for what God has set up for us. And God has given us a way to grab onto him. God has given us a way that we can approach him and say, Lord, Be faithful. He's given us these promises, and he's given us his son. When I was in cadets, we'd sometimes go whitewater rafting in the Colorado Rockies. So we'd inflate these big rafts. My memory probably exaggerates how big they are, but maybe four or five feet across and 10 or 12 feet long. We'd have eight or 10 people on them, and we'd go rafting down these whitewater rivers. But the thing with whitewater rafting is that you often fall off the raft. Sometimes it's accidental. Sometimes it's accidental on purpose. Depends. Um, I personally never pushed anyone off without intending to do it. I won't tell you how many people I pushed off, but it was a lot. Um, And I got pushed off myself. It was fun. But the thing is, once you're off the raft, you can't get back up on your own. These are big rafts. They're slippery. They're hard to get back up. You can scrabble at them. You can grab after them. But you can't get back up on your own. So they gave us this safety lecture before they let all of us cadets go out on the dangerous river with these boats that we could push each other off of. So they gave us a safety lecture before that, which never quite made sense to me, but whatever. But they said if someone falls off, if someone falls off, whether by accident or design, you got to help them get back in the raft. They aren't going to be able to make it on their own, so what you have to do is you have to stick out a paddle and give them a handle to grab hold of, and once they grab on, you can pull them to safety. You couldn't get up on your own, but if you gave if someone else gave you a handle, they could pull you up. In our prayer lives, the promises of God give us that handle. They give us when things are going crazy. When life is hard, when the world doesn't make any sense, these promises of God give us something to grab hold of and say, "God, keep your promises." God, things don't look right right now. God, I had this great plan, and it seems like you said no. But God, fulfill your promises. Again and again, we can go to the Lord, and because he's given us these promises, and he's given us his son, and he's drawn us into his people, we can say, Lord, keep your promises. You've promised to save us, your people. You've promised to be our good king. So God, keep your promises. When we pray, we have a handle to grab onto because God has given us these promises. So when we pray, we can pray based on God's covenant faithfulness. The Lord has made great promises to us. We are included in these promises in 2 Samuel 7 because we belong to Christ, the Son of David, the Son of God. Now, the Lord sometimes doesn't say yes to our requests. He sometimes rejects our plans. But even when he pulls our building permits, he's still our good and gracious father. He's still keeping his promises. He's still working out his plans. So when we pray, let's pray with humility and with confidence. Humility because God's plans are always, always greater than ours. Humility in giving up our own plans for the Lord And also confidence, confidence because the Lord has given us his great and precious promises and because he is a faithful God. The Lord accomplishes his plans for our good.